The following interview was recorded on Friday, April 22nd, 2022 at the IFS Web Radio Studio. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining me here on Parkour Ed. My pleasure. This is Colin Daly, and you are Caroline Wardensky, but mm-hmm. I will let you introduce yourself because, you know, you know yourself much better than I do. Well, actually, I go by Wardensky Wardensky, or my real name, which would be Wardenska. Oh, really? Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm half Polish. My dad was born Polish, but in France to a Polish family that lived in Germany before that. And uh, he gained the French nationality when he was a kid. But he never spoke Polish to me, so it sounds a bit ridiculous. All right. So in France, you pronounce it Wardensky or Wardensky? Or... Well, I grew up next to Germany or in Germany, so people would say Wardensky. But Wardensky. French people would say Wardensky. They never know how right. to get that right. right. Well, in English, it's Wardensky, and it's pretty common. It's, yeah. know, we have a lot of people named Wardensky in the United States, big Polish population. Absolutely. And it was Dingus Day last Monday, actually. Dingus Day? What? Yes. Dingus Day. Oh my God, that's the best Polish festival ever. Well, basically, the rules are really simple. Uh, just throw buckets of water, preferably ice cold, to each other. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, really. I got Kasper Czech, actually. Hey, Martin, if you hear me, sorry about that, <laughs> but I gotcha. <laughs> so he was into a tour with the name like Kasper Czech. Uh, well, he, he had to, and I threatened him, actually. He knew what was coming. But yeah, it's something very big. It has to do with some pagan festival and also the Christian festival of Easter because water means life. It's water from the baptism. Oh, okay. And it's also chasing winter away and welcoming spring. So your father... <laughs> Polish. Polish, but he was born in Poland. In France. In no, France. Okay. he was born in France. So were you in contact a lot with your grandparents growing up? Did you hear a lot of Polish being spoken in their home or did you did you get to meet your grandparents? Or? I did spend some time with them, but they were living quite far from my place. So although I have a Polish name, I have no real Polish culture per se. My culture is mainly Germanic. Oh, okay. And also English and French. English, English and as French, in British. Right. British more English. Like. Right, mm-hmm. right. I've met your mother and she doesn't speak Polish. No, she doesn't. That's she speaks right. Italian, some English, although very reluctantly. She grew up in Africa, so an expat like many of us here. Now she lives in France. So you really did have the uh, 3CK upbringing, the third culture kid, where you're crossing cultures. That's interesting for our students as well. Cause and I actually can hear it when I speak English or French, because uh, the, the way I grew up, or the first place where I really learned to speak English, and I, when I became a kind of fake native speaker, because I was young, was the U.S. So I grew up having an American accent, but then I went to in London. So it kind of got into tried and the first words I've learned are the ones I'm going to use. Like I would never say film, I will say movie. Uh, I will say elevator instead of lift. But ah, then most see. of the time I speak British English because I spent time there as an adult, right. not as a kid. So I'm assuming that you did the majority of your studying in France, but then did you go on to study abroad to the United States when you were younger? Yeah, but it, it was mostly in my teenage years then. Teenage I got years. to go to high school for... Uh, just a little while because my parents didn't re- really want me to skip classes in France. Right. So I spent time with my cousins, attended a lot of lessons in high school and uh, learned about the American culture, the lockers and everything. Right. And, what part of the USA were you in? 
Illinois. Illinois. Yeah, Chicago. Were you there during winter months at all? Thankfully not. I was there in the blazing, scorching heat of the summer. I love it. The windy city. I really love it. The Polish population was really strong and has a huge foothold there. All the the lovely sausages and meats that come out of, well, for me, it comes from Chicago, but it originally comes from Poland. Yeah, and they're very much into polka. Yes, polka music. So then we're in France, and you said you were in the eastern part of France? Yes, next to Germany, around Strasbourg, between Strasbourg and Freiburg. And I also went to school in Darmstadt, which is next to Frankfurt. Speaking of sausages, mm-hmm. <laughs> we all go, we always come back to sausages. <laughs> yes, yeah, so Strasbourg, Chicago, Polish sausages, and Frankfurt, of course. Yes, yes. Okay, we have a sausage theme going on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Were you always interested in foreign language or just being around it so much uh, uh, made it easier for you to code switch to go between languages? Because, I mean, your English is, is, is wonderful and your French is wonderful. My German's not bad, but it's a bit rusty. (laughs) Well, um, it it really is hard and it boils down to the debate whether we're determined to do something or we're growing into something. I guess that background and entourage means a lot and influences part of who you are until you discover yourself. So I'm going to sound very French and very posh there. (laughs) I'm going to quote Jean-Paul Sartre uh, saying that existence comes before essence. And I'm also going to quote Henry James, American author, saying that the only way you really knew how American you were was by traveling and getting into contact with different cultures. So I assume that growing up, it's it's like a soil and then you discover who you are and you really dig that part of yourself. Being around foreign languages and yes, my grandparents would speak Polish all the time. My dad was more into German because he spoke German and Polish at a native level with his grandparents. And my mom, well, very, very, very French. (laughs) (laughs) Although growing up in Africa, very French. And also me growing up uh, partly in Germany, partly in France. I guess that languages were always a part of life. Where are you from? Mm -hmm. That dreaded question, where are you from? And so many of our students don't want to answer that question because they're torn between where they live, where they were born, Mm -hmm. their mother's culture, their father's culture, et cetera, et cetera. So I changed the question. I switched it to what is home for you? Where is home or where are the places that you call home? Because it all boils down to where you feel you belong. We do feel we kind of belong to Singapore in a way, even though we're not Singaporean and we'll always be Angmo. And I, I absolutely adore this term. I think it's very cute. But we've made kind of a home here, and I feel home when I go to Illinois. I feel home in Germany. I feel home in London. So there are so many places where, for some reason, you feel good, that where you're from is irrelevant in a way because we're citizens of the world. And with digitalization and with what we've learned through COVID, everything has changed. So wherever you feel good is what you can call home, in a nutshell. I agree. That is well put. Thank you very much. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting how you get caught into that thought process and, and, and what does home feel like. Yeah, and it's existence that exactly. provides you home and goes back to your essence. Where, what countries have you spent any uh, considerable amount of time in? The U.S., Illinois, yeah. London, U.K. I say London because I'm so attached to London and this yeah. is where I lived. And Freiburg, Germany. And now Singapore. And of course, some parts of France, Paris, 
I did yeah. the Algiers in Paris as a young teacher. I I was torn between teaching French in London or English in Paris, right. and uh, I had some family pressure. Some emotional and blackmail, even <laughs> as far as that. That transfers yeah. across all cultures. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Everyone can relate. Right. And, and finally, I settled in Paris, and I had the best life there. Oh, my God. My 20-something years in Paris. Beautiful, wonderful. I loved it. Now, you come from a teaching mm-hmm. background, right, if I'm not mistaken? Yes, but I've never wanted to teach oh, until really? I... Actually did. Yes, it's quite strange. Oh, tell me that story. I'd love to hear that. Well, I was I was pretty good at school, so I, I basically had the choice. I didn't really have to choose between um, literary background and scientific, although I was not really scientific, but my teachers was, were telling me, you should be a journalist, you, you should work on TV. I was into music, so I kind of had that dream of working in the entertainment business. But ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a doctor. Ah. So that was the idea. But then came uh, year 11, or grade 11, grade 12, or what we call sixth form in the UK. And I was not good at physics and chemistry. Math, okay. Biology, good. But physics and chemistry, all of a sudden, I, I fell behind. And I thought, I'm never going to succeed in med school in France or even elsewhere if I don't really get the knack of it. So I thought, okay, maybe journalism, political science. And I went to law university. And then during my first year, I had the deadly combination of breaking up with my boyfriend and having a car accident almost all at the same time. So I ended up bedridden and uh, really feeling sorry for myself and my wasted life. And it prompted some kind of uh, questioning. Do I really want to do this? When I returned to university, well, I failed my year because I missed out on too many lectures and lessons and tutorials. I finished my degree because I like to finish what I start. And then I thought, I'm going to do something I like. And I went to study English because I loved English music and British and American literature. And the, the normal pathway was becoming a teacher I tried, and I really loved it. So here I am. (laughs) Well, we're glad you made it. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I just love my job. Everybody has those moments where Hmm. there's a switch. Yeah, an epiphany uh, of some sort. And you think, is that really what I want? And it prompts you to reconsider and to think, okay, no choice is a wrong choice. And you can always turn back and decide to take the other path. I know your mother was a, a teacher. Yes, as, she was. As was mine. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I know some people have a belief that there's a sort of reproduction, you know, the doctor's yes. kid becomes a doctor, a teacher's kid becomes a teacher. But there is still a moment. There's always that moment. That people don't just fall into this mm-hmm. job and stay with it. And stay with and it. Stay well, with it. Yeah, that's the tricky bit. <laughs> so how would you compare your teaching here in Singapore with your teaching in France? It's more literary, I'd say. I started in, in inner city schools. In the UK, when we say inner city, it means the kind of poor suburbs where you have people who don't come for, from these educated backgrounds. It was really challenging because you do not come as a messiah. You have to gain the audience. You have to uh, feed them. 
and make them like you. There's nothing of the sort here. Well, sometimes, yeah, because when you're teaching for them four to five and they're tired and they're weary and they want to go home, you sort of have to put on a show uh, to, to gain their interest. Capture their attention. Yeah, keep but, them engaged. Yes. But no, my early years as a teacher, I was in difficult schools and I survived. But then I moved to university and I had excellent students. So they were starting to be engineers and I had also the, these students that in France we called classe préparatoire. So obviously whiz kids and they were really learned, hardworking, absolutely the same as the ones we have here. And so it didn't change much, although at university I was teaching what we call non-specialists. So it was more scientific English and communication. So teaching really different things. I don't teach scientific English here any longer. We don't talk about power plants or the necessity to switch to renewable energy sources. I don't teach them how to uh, succeed in a job interview, but we might talk about that from time to time. We're more into literature and politics and global topics. And I really like the fact that a lot of the kids are native or fake native speakers and uh, third culture kids because I... I really feel I can connect with them. Yeah. What, what do you mean by fake native? Like me, uh, growing up uh, without parents who, who are native English speakers, but being immersed in uh, English-speaking environments, as a result, developing that kind of native ear. Right. Because you can grow up to master a language if you have what it takes. But then to be able to hear different accents, to perceive these innuendo, you have to do it from early on and that's what most of the kids have here and my kids i don't know whether they're native or french native because they've been exposed to english ever since they were born we have a lot of these kids here and they have the vocabulary they want to express their opinion they're not shy they're not self-conscious you can get those students in france who are not happy faking the accent so they would say uh, yeah i believe um, uh, in this text uh, we can say that uh, here, no, they take the accent and they speak yeah. and they can elaborate. So it's, it's the icing of the cake for a teacher because they're good, they're learned, they're willing, they're able, and most of the time they're adorable. They are. I love the idea of language mastery and where it all goes mm -hmm. in, in our thoughts. An example I can give you is I speak French and I've studied French for a long time. I've also studied other languages and not reached a level of proficiency mm -hmm. equal to French, obviously. I'm currently studying a new language and I find that uh, when I get into a pressure situation where somebody's, somebody's speaking to me in that language and I'm trying to reply and I'm reaching into my thoughts, I'm reaching into my well of language, I will pull out the wrong language. <laughs> But yes. it's never French. I will never accidentally pull out a French word. I'll pull out a Mandarin word. I'm trying to learn Italian. So, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm speaking with an Italian speaker. And I'll pull out a Mandarin word or a Malay word <laughs> instead of an Italian word. But I never pull out a French word. It's like there are some languages that are just everywhere in your body and you, you own them. Even yes. if you have an accent, in my case, and also use the wrong gender on nouns very often. There's still something. It's in a different place in our body or in our thoughts or yes, in our psyche or something. It becomes a part of us. It's it interesting does. how it can just merge into our system. We start dreaming in, a, in another language. And that's kind of what I call fake natives. Fake native. You can dream in a language or you find that some concepts are easily expressed in a language rather than another one. And you know, you understand it perfectly, but 
translating it even in, into your native language makes it harder. Yeah. You mentioned music earlier, and oh, I yeah. know what a fine <laughs> musician you are and performer, and music has always been a central topic on the Parkour Ed podcast. I've ah. always brought it up with all of my guests in some form or another, so we're going to talk about music. You did mention how music led you to studying English, kind of a low point, and you wanted to just do what you wanted to do. And, yes. And that brought you to English partially. Uh, pop culture, perhaps, yes. but you're not just a pop music fan. You have a rich musical background as well, experience. I do. So I'll tell Talk you the story of my name. First of all, <laughs> my dad grew up in the Polish community in the north of France, but because he was a star student, he was sent to boarding school on this kind of fees and subsidies that you get from the state because my grandparents were coal miners, like most Polish immigrants. So he was sent to that very posh and high-end boarding school in the north of France. He was obviously with kids from rich families of Lille and Béthune and all the surroundings. And some of them had those radio outlets. And they were listening to British rock all the time. And everybody's familiar with that movie, The Boat That Rocks. It actually existed. This pirate radio was a thing that my dad was listening to, and its name was Radio Caroline. It yeah. really existed. Yeah. So he told me that he got the idea of my name because he was listening to Radio Caroline as a student. Yeah, I know. Wow. You're, know. you're named after the pirate radio yeah, ship. Yeah, I'm so proud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I Googled it because I didn't believe him, but... Definitely, he checks, and he was listening to it every night, and it was at boarding school that he really developed his skills as a musician, ending up being a professional musician and becoming a teacher by accident. Um, so your father was a professional musician, yes, he but was. then he was a teacher. Yes, he uh, did, Was he, he doing both at the same time? Or? He was mostly a professional musician when he was studying. He did record a few records that I still have at home. <laughs> and, but then he moved to the east of France and became a full-time teacher. But he went on playing music, but not professionally. And as a result, he wanted me to have a musical education, which I was really reluctant about. Until one day I met the teacher that changed my life. And I've been playing ever since and trying to expand my knowledge of instrument working on the voice as well. In Singapore, it's so rich, the kind of experience you have in meeting new musicians. And no one is shy. No one goes, yeah, I used to play, but I'm not very good. People just go for it. So I was surprised to find such a strong musical culture in Singapore because all the local kids learn music. And as a result, music is really big in Singapore. Any type, any genre, any style. And it's a real pleasure for musicians to be here because you're always going to be surprised. And the level here is so high that it's quite a humbling experience. So what projects are you working on right now for your musical? I'm part of a band called The Grounded. I'm the last one to join. They're absolutely excellent. Right now we've been having some snacks with us traveling around and our singer being stuck in China. We don't know when we're going to rehearse next. There's six of us. The more, the merrier, but the more, the harder it is to organize something where everyone's free. Someone has thrown a proposal as well recently to, to form a kind of French and English language rock band with music from the 1980s and maybe later. 
I jumped into the bandwagon, no pun intended. <laughs> We did a check and test rehearsal on Saturday, and it worked well, because I knew the, the guitar player, who's also a friend of yours. Mm -hmm. I know the drummer, because he's the drummer from The Grounded, so I kind of said, hey, why don't you come play with me on another project? And I came across the bass player a couple of times, but I don't really know him. So I just contacted him, and he responded immediately. We tried, and um, we hooked. Really, something happened. So we're meeting tomorrow night for drinks and jam at my place Wonderful. and to define a set list of 25 songs because our guitarist, who you know well, is really ambitious and wants to go pro or play live. It's an uh, exciting challenge and something to really look forward to and also something that keeps you on edge, compels you to practice because, as you know... When we don't have a musical project ongoing, it's really hard to make time and pick your instrument. That's right. Projects do keep us sharp. They yes, do. they do. <laughs> Caroline Vordensky, is there anything you can think of that uh, you just like to throw out there? The only thing I would say is that Singapore is a really lovely place for fostering uh, new talents and for discovering yourself because people are encouraged to take lessons. So I'd say... Go out, try to see what you're made of. Try to reinvent yourself. Try to find your gig. How about travel plans or even plans for the future? Well, we're, we're really happy in Singapore right yeah. now. My husband loves his job. I love my job. The kids like it here, although they miss friends for some yeah. reason because they've lived longer here than friends. We have some projects ongoing in Europe. So eventually we'll go back there one day. We don't know when. Maybe with a stopover in Dubai in the meantime. My husband would really like to go back to New York for a yeah. few years. Now, I'm a citizen of the world, so I'm open to discovering new things. I also have a family, um, very restricted family in Europe. So at some point, well, I wish it could be closer to them. But right now, we're happy. So we live in the present day and present moment, and we enjoy it. I know that I'll end my days in Montpellier because that's the place where I really feel home. Part of my relatives are from there. Nice. So I know my, my last days will be by the sea. So lovely. But see, we'll see. Well, once again, Caroline Wardensky is with <laughs> us here at the IFS. This is Colin Daly and Parkour Ed. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks and look for having me. And forward to talking to you again very soon. All right. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Parkour Ed with Colin Daly. If you have any comments or feedback, feel free to email me at cdaily at ifs.edu.sg. And if you liked Parkour Ed, please share it with your friends. Until next time, bye now.